on today's episode of Neyland's Basement. We'll look back at week four, give our September Heismans, and preview week five. Welcome into every, excuse me, <laughs> been, a, been a long day, hasn't it? Uh, welcome everybody into the fifth edition of Neyland's Basement. I am your host, Tucker Harlan, alongside Dominic Throngard and Devin Hoke. Guys, we have made it through September. How are we feeling? We beat Florida. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> we beat Florida. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee tried really hard to lose, but fortunately, uh, they did not succeed in trying to lose. They managed to win that game. Huge confidence booster. I'm very excited about how the rest of the season is going to shape out. Yeah, so with that being said, that's going to be the first game we're going to talk about in our week one review. Tennessee, number 11, Tennessee, survived number 20, Florida, 38-33. to Both offenses really had themselves a day. Uh, of course, we were kind of talking down on Anthony Richardson a little bit, but the dude just inflated his stats tremendously in this game. 453 yards through the air, uh, two passing touchdowns. He didn't have one before this game, so he had a good day, but, I mean, Tennessee had an equally good day. Obviously, Hendon Hooker was a force not only through the air, but on the ground. I believe it was 112 yards and two touchdowns on the ground that he had. Uh, And then, of course, we saw Florida nearly come back with two minutes to go in the game. I mean, they were down, I believe it was 38-21. to 21. They scored a touchdown, didn't get the two-point conversion, and then they obviously onside kicked it, and then they got they got the ball back, and it was, it was really scary there for a moment, but in the end, Tennessee beat Florida. Those, that, that sentence right there has only been used twice in the last 18 years. <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous that that's the case uh, because the Tennessee team has always felt like they've been capable of beating Florida year in and year out for these past couple of years. And it finally happened this year and it was remarkable. I mean, the environment and the hope that's in Knoxville now is just insane. Like this place is completely turned around from where it was even just a year ago today, the energy, the, the pure excitement around football again, it's back to being one of those schools where football is the big deal. We are a good team. It's an incredible feeling. It's really something you only get with those big blue blood universities, and we're one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you felt like all these years it was only a matter of time that Tennessee was going to be back. And to me, from what I've seen, Tennessee is back. I think some people are so hesitant to say that because they haven't beaten Alabama or they or they haven't beaten a potentially top 10 Kentucky team. I'm going to say it right now that Tennessee is back based on what we've seen. Still, though, from this game, tackling, the defense needs to improve dramatically at tackling the other players. I think part of that is just because they're still on the field too much. That's just what you have to deal with with this kind of offense that moves this quickly. But still, it it can't be... I mean, Florida's first touchdown, the guy catches it on a slant and just breaks a whole bunch of tackles. It was like watching the Music City Bowl all over again, where Purdue's big tight ends and receivers were just breaking tackles like crazy. Uh, 
you know, Tennessee's secondary, they've got the speed, they can cover well, but they cannot tackle well, and that's going to really cost Tennessee down the line. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be criticizing Tennessee's secondary for that performance, and, I mean, when you don't tackle people well and when you're playing 10 yards off the guy you're defending, then, yeah, there's definitely room for criticism. But this weekend for Tennessee, especially with the win, was so big, not j- just for the future. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about it. I mean, there was there were recruits Recruiting. all over the place mm-hmm. here, and you've got college game day there. You've got Barstool Sports there. Um, you've got a lot of other celebrities that happen to be there. I know Theo Vaughn was there yeah. just roaming around <laughs> on the sidelines. Dumping the Gatorade uh, on that, him. Yep, he and Caleb Presley both. So, I mean, it, you can say what you want about the possible comeback there at the end. Maybe a little disappointing for Tennessee. But at the end of the day, they beat Florida, and that was in a crazy environment. That is how you sell your school to recruits. Absolutely. And what I will say, too, in regards to our defense, the third down stops need to start happening and the fourth down stops because even just one in that game would have changed the outlook entirely because our offense was so unstoppable that if we go you know, two touchdowns ahead, it's so much harder for the other team's offense to stay in the game mentally. But I will also give a lot of credit to Napier. I think he did a really good job coaching this game. Oh, yeah, he did great. I mean, he came into this game. What Florida wanted to do, you know, control time of possession, control the clock, have long drives, don't let Tennessee's offense see the field a whole lot. On that first drive, they were moving slowly, running the ball well, and I'm just like, oh, God, no, they're they're doing exactly what they want to do. Yeah, I'm really excited for, you know, the next decade of this rivalry between uh, hopefully I think it will be both Heupel and Napier as the coaches because I, from what I've seen from Napier, I do trust him as the coach of Florida, even if the people down there may not see it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his 138 people on his staff all all out there supporting <laughs> him. So, yeah, got a great support staff around him down there at Florida, but uh they, they definitely do need to improve, though, because for the first time since 1955, Florida has lost to both Tennessee and Kentucky in the same season. That's not something – well, obviously it's not something that's happened in a long time, but, I mean, that, that's that's a pretty close spot to be in if you're Florida right there for sure. So, with that being said, let's move on to another matchup, another ranked matchup in the SEC Number 23, Texas A&M, upset number 10, Arkansas, 23-21 to in the Southwest Classic, played in AT&T Stadium at Dallas. Texas A&M has now won 10 of 11 in this matchup since joining the SEC. And they were down 14-0 pretty early on in this game, but they scored 23 unanswered points. Uh, the big performer, Devin A-Chain, ran for 159 yards and a touchdown. But, guys, there were a lot of really, really weird things that happened in this game. Uh, I mean, first, we, we can talk a little bit about the K.J. Jefferson fumble. He pretty much did what Jarrett Garantano did at Alabama back in 2019, uh, trying to go over the top of the guy, gets it swatted out. But, of course, the guy's running it back. Arkansas was going to get him, unlike what happened with Garantano. But then another Aggie defender came in, got the ball, and just did the rest for him. So that was very <laughs> odd. And then there was the field goal attempt that Arkansas had to take the lead late in the game. Kick looked great for a minute. And then it bounced off the top of the right upright. Apparently that's happened once already this season, but I, I can't ever remember seeing something like that happen in a game. Can you guys? No, I, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, it's even rare to see the kick hit the crossbar, much less the top of the post. But all in all, I mean, I I think this still is somewhat of an impressive game for Texas A&M. Um, this is really important to their program right now and just showing that they're not – going to be terrible under Jimbo Fisher 100 percent 
I mean, there's still a chance they drop a couple games here and there, but the offense looked a lot better than it had, and I think it's only going to get better as the season goes on. So I do think this Texas A&M team has shown that there is actually some legitimacy behind their hype. Yeah, I, I think what they've shown is that they have the potential to win just about any game against just about anybody as well as lose just about any game against anybody so part of that if you're an Aggies fan it's probably pretty exciting because you never know what kind of team you're going to get there I think Arkansas is a very elite team uh, even despite this loss because again a lot of weird things happen the Aggies are not bad by any stretch got tons of talent all across the team uh yeah it was just one of those one of those tough ones for the Razorbacks uh Texas A&M as you mentioned already Tucker generally has their number um so you know it's just gonna be tough for them moving forward but obviously again uh I think both these teams still could be serious contenders for an SEC West title that might be generally pretty wide open still, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how things play out. But one big piece of concern for Texas A&M, Anaya Smith, their mm-hmm. top receiver, probably their biggest playmaker on offense, went down with a what was a pretty gruesome injury. A guy rolled up on him. I believe it was friendly fire. And, I mean, he was just down there screaming in pain. They found out that he is going to be done for the season. Mm-hmm. So this could this is this is a real problem for the Aggies because now I mean we've we've talked about how they've struggled through the air they're a little bit better with Max Johnson now mm-hmm. but now you lose your biggest playmaker through the air yeah they're they're going to need their other receivers like Evan Stewart to really mature really quickly to me he's gotten better every game but he's still no Anaya Smith so they need their young guys to really mature quickly because they still got a lot of tough games ahead yeah and I think this Texas A&M team is still pretty young too to the point where it's I I don't feel like this season they needed to go out there and prove that they can win everything they Mm -hmm. just needed a good season to get set for the next season really yeah absolutely so let's look at our last SEC matchup this is a funny one um Auburn survived Missouri on the plane 17 to 14 in overtime So, to start off, Auburn scored 14 points to start this game, jump out to a 14-point lead. Mizzou would make that up later on in the game. It's tied at 14 late in the fourth quarter. They get down to the Auburn end of the field, and they're thinking, we got got one of the best kickers in the nation right now in Harrison Mavis. We should be able to hit a chip shot and, and win this thing. So, what ended up happening, though, Harrison Mavis would push this one to the right and miss it, and the game goes to overtime. Uh, Auburn would score a field goal attempt early on in the overtime period, but Nathaniel Pete had a chance to win it for Missouri with a rushing touchdown, and it looked like he had it there for a minute, but he fumbled it on the goal line, and Auburn ended up winning the game. Uh, Did this just save Brian Harson his job? Uh, Yeah, it definitely did. Brian Harson has been on the hot seat really ever since he got to Auburn. I mean, there's such a problem with the culture at Auburn right now with their boosters and just how abusive they are to literally everyone there. I think that Auburn needs to temper their expectations severely, especially in a conference as competitive as the SEC. So I don't think Harson's the worst, but he got put in probably the worst situation he possibly could have. Uh, He really should not have taken that job, but I do understand it's the SEC. You have to take the job. But yeah, his job was definitely saved here by Mizzou. And you know, I... I was kind of right about this game. Neither one of these teams really seemed like they wanted to come out and win it. And I guess the Auburn fans just pushed out onto the field and got them that victory. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something magic about Jordan Hare when it's a close game. Now, obviously, if Auburn's getting blown out and they have no chance, you know, that doesn't count. But if it's a close game at Jordan Hare, Auburn's going to win it. There's just something special about that stadium, that atmosphere. They just find a way to win, even when they really shouldn't, because Missouri's running back, uh, Pete, great run, fumbles the ball through the end zone. He should have had the game-winning rushing touchdown. You, you hate to see guys make that a mistake like that. Uh, but again, that that's just all she wrote for that one. Uh, yeah, and again, uh, the point about the boosters, that is the biggest problem with Auburn right now. Uh, one of my best friends, he went to Auburn. You know, he, he remembers hearing all about this while he was there when they had Gus Malzahn. And Malzahn was a really, really good coach. I mean, when he's coaching Auburn, he consistently got them in the top 10. He beat Alabama three out of eight times, which is a pretty darn good percentage uh, going up against the Crimson Tide. And so he was consistent Consistently bringing in great teams, and yet he just had all these disagreements with the boosters. They became way too controlling, and they got him out. Now they've screwed themselves up in this situation, and and it's like they're going to struggle to get a good coach to go there when it really shouldn't be the case because they are a premier SEC brand. Every coach should want to go coach there, but at the moment, it's just it, it's just not the same when when guys are this controlling over the coach. It's ridiculous. What about Lane Kiffin though? Because there's been some big rumors floating that, around about him. That was a very interesting thing that came up today uh, with him. I'll talk about that for just a second. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, basically he was talking in his press conference like nobody's coming out to see our games. And he seems a yeah. little bit upset by that. Yeah. You know where you could have a, everybody come and see your game? Tennessee. Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Auburn. I, I mean, yeah, I'm exactly. feeling the Auburn yeah. rumor mill with uh, Lane Kiffin. I almost forgot the, de- the devil's yeah. name. Yeah, there. <laughs> because he – I mean, he he's – there's been speculation before about him maybe going there, but I I don't think any of that's going to happen. I mean, it's crazy the lack of fan support Ole Miss's football team is getting. I really don't get it. It seemed like yeah. last season because they had a good a top amount. Because they're a 25 team. Yeah, they're too it busy makes no tailgating. Sense to me. They're, they're all just hanging out at the yeah. tailgates yeah. forgetting to go to the game. Yeah. yeah, they're all hanging out at the frat house. I don't know. Like It's <laughs> just how Ole Miss is, man. Yeah. But it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, they give such strong support for the baseball team, even when, you know, whether they're good or bad, which is great. But for football, uh, when they've got a top 25 team, and even last year they gave a lot of support, and now they're number 14 in the country, and it's like, we'll have to see what kind of support they get yeah. this weekend. But well, apparently it's sold out, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, number five, Clemson, one at number 21, Wake Forest, 51-45 to in double overtime. Crazy game in the noon slot here. And really the best way that I have to say this, I mean, is Clemson was able to win this game playing the way Wake Forest plays usually, and now they are up to 14 wins in the series in a row. How do we feel about this result? I... I'm honestly not too worried about Clemson here because I think that Clemson and Wake Forest is always going to be a pretty difficult game. And I mean, Wake Forest is a really good team. I, I'm not going to undersell them here. They honestly, I could see them being ranked a lot higher than 21. So I think that this was a great win for Clemson, regardless of the fact that their defense, you know, kind of looked like Swiss cheese. I think that being able to win a game like this is always impressive. No matter, no matter the result of it being a double overtime, against a team that's ranked much lower if you win these tough games it shows a lot about your team yeah and to win on the road as well uh, i know wake force doesn't have the greatest home environment but they really showed up for their team for this game of course anytime you're a big time team you know everybody's going to show up for you anyways uh but 
Again, DJ looked the best he's ever looked by far. Five touchdown passes. He looked incredible. But Wake Forest passing defense is just so horrible. And they do not have the size to compete with Clemson's guys. I mean, Clemson has some of the tallest receivers, some of the biggest tight ends. Wake Forest was constantly putting Mustafa, who's five foot ten, up on tight ends that are like six four, six five, like Davis Allen. And so Uyungule just put it puts it up there like like a lob pass to a basketball player inside, and it's just like an easy catch in the end zone there. Mustafa's a good safety, but did not have the height or the size to compete with Clemson's receivers. Same across the board for Wake Forest secondary. So that was just a mismatch all game. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what this game means for the ACC Atlantic because obviously we've talked about these two being favorites. NC State, who Clemson will play this week, Mm -hmm. is another potential favorite. But, you know, there are teams like Florida State and Syracuse out there that are trying to prove themselves as well. We'll see if it holds up, but this may maybe a, a game that we can look back on when it's all said and done that Clemson won to get back to that ACC title. So let's look at the other side of the ACC here. Um, number 25, Miami lost at home to middle Tennessee state, 45 to 31. The Tennessee Vols were not the only team to beat a team from Florida this weekend. Uh, Miami trailed this game the whole way. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, who is considered potentially a top five quarterback in the upcoming recruit or draft class, rather, uh, threw two picks in this game, including a pick six. They pulled him. Uh, the MTSU quarterback, Chase Cunningham, he threw touchdown passes of 69, 71, and 98 yards. What on earth happened to Miami this weekend? I couldn't tell you. I <laughs> I can't say I'm terribly surprised, though, because this Miami team still has a lot of work to do, and I think people definitely overrated them at the start of the season. <laughs> but I'm still not hitting the panic button yet if you're a Miami fan, just because this this is Cristobal's first year. Every single coach needs a little bit of time, except for if that coach's name is Josh Heupel. But uh, Heupel's a rare case. But really impressive performance out of MTSU, and honestly a lot better team than you'd expect them to be. So I, I don't think this is the worst loss for Miami because I never pictured them doing that great this season. But if you had high expectations, this is a terrible loss and you should be ashamed. Yeah, you know, I think Miami should be very disappointed in this for a lot of reasons. Not just that they lost. They had no fan support at all. Obviously, <laughs> That's there's, typical. Yeah, but there's like, and obviously there's bad weather. Um, we don't know what's going on in Florida, of course, going on right now weather-wise. And so this, even though this was like back on Saturday, there was still really bad weather. There was lightning in the area. But yet there was like no fans. Like go back, look at the highlights, or if anybody's seen the game, I mean, the stadium was like almost empty. It's like where are all the Miami fans? There's hardly any. That's number one. Number two, uh, this system, the offensive scheme that they're running now with Gaddis as the offensive coordinator does not fit Tyler Van Dyke's play style whatsoever. Before Van Dyke was able to really blow up because of offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley, who of course now is with SMU. And Van Dyke uh, really fit in well with that West Coast style pro passing offense. Now Gaddis comes in with Cristobal and they decide to run an RPO style offense that fits Jeff Garcia, who stepped in that game, his skill set much better. So Garcia, in my opinion, is 
won the starting job. He's going to be the quarterback from here on out. And it's not because he's particularly better than Van Dyke. It's just he fits in so much better with that offensive scheme, the RPO scheme. And so as a result, he's going to be their guy. I believe, honestly, Van Dyke will transfer at the end of the season maybe even transfer to SMU would be where I'd guess because Tanner Mordecai is going to be gone and Rhett Lashley will still be the head coach. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that situation plays out there at Miami with Van Dyke. You know, I mean, obviously a guy that's prospected to go that high in the draft. Uh, that's not what you want to see at all. Uh, fun nugget for you guys at home. MTSU is now 3-0 and all time against the U. The other two wins came in 1931 and 1932. Uh, so pretty, pretty wild stuff, yep, right winning there. Winning tradition, yep. winning tradition. Yep, yes. go Blue Raiders. Yep, the the that's where uh, you know that's where uh, Kevin Byard played, I believe, for the times the mayor yeah, was. mayor yep. of Murfreesboro. So go Murfreesboro, go MTSU. Got a big game against UTSA. I know you guys can get it done this week too. All right, so let's shift gear a little bit. Number seventeen Baylor won at Iowa State, thirty-one to twenty-four. Uh, Blake Shapin, the Baylor quarterback, really did just enough for Baylor to win this game. 238 yards, three touchdowns. So good stat line. Obviously, it's not the most impressive thing you'll see all the time, but it's it's good enough for them to get the win on the road. Uh, the other quarterback, Hunter Deckers for Iowa State, not the prettiest day for him. Two interceptions that he threw, uh, and Baylor really capitalized off of one of them as it would make it a 31-14 to game later on in the game. Uh, how badly did Baylor need this one? Badly. Uh, this win means a lot to Baylor. They really needed it after their shaky start to the season. It was a little bit on. It was it was a big question mark how they were going to do this season after losing a lot of the talent from last season and the Big Twelve getting a lot more competitive, kind of out of nowhere, which has been really one of the stories of the season in my opinion so far. Is the Big Twelve has looked like one of the best conferences. Uh, and that's going to come back to bite it, I think, honestly, because the teams there are pretty even. So I don't think they're going to be able to get ranked too high. But Baylor needed this game in a bad way, and they showed up and they got the job done, which is huge for any team. And I think it's going to improve their confidence going forward, and they're going to be able to climb a bit higher in the rankings. Yeah, I mean, you know, on yeah, on one side with the Big 12 being so competitive, uh, you know, it opens up the door for perhaps Oklahoma State to be a playoff team. And, and now with Baylor getting this victory, this sets up such a huge matchup between the Cowboys and the Bears this weekend, which I know we're going to get to in a sec, so I won't say anything too much more about that, but that's also why Baylor desperately needed to win this game, because they have such a huge one coming up next. Uh, I will say, you know, Shapin, you know, 230 yards, three touchdowns, I'd say that's pretty impressive. Go on the road against a good Matt Campbell coach defense. Um and so, you know, and, and Hunter Deckers for Iowa State, he's impressed me so far, but yeah, not not his best game, but it's the best defense he's played, arguably, other than Iowa's. So. Yeah, well, one thing I'll say about Shapin, I mean, I, I didn't mean to say that, like, it yeah. was not a good performance. I mean, like, he needed this performance because he had that very iffy one out there at BYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you throw three passing touchdowns on the road, that's, that's a solid yeah. night, especially against a team like Iowa State. Like you said, Devin, who is very defensive heavy, something we're not totally accustomed to seeing mm-hmm. in the Big 12. So, on the note of the Big 12, we had a pretty significant upset in the Big 12 this week. Kansas State won at number six, Oklahoma, 41-34. to That is now three of four in a row that the Wildcats have managed to beat the Sooners in. 
And guys, this was the Adrian Martinez show. I ne- I never thought I'd be saying anything about <laughs> Adrian Martinez beating Oklahoma, but here we are. He had 234 yards and a touchdown through the air, but on the ground, 148 yards and four touchdowns. That is ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, it's an incredible performance by him. I, I could not believe the highlight reel I was watching play out on that field as that game happened. I mean, remarkable win for Kansas State. Just really impressive there. Oklahoma, though, is asking a lot of questions. Yeah, they're asking their walk-ons to have tryouts in mid-October or just having people bringing in walk-ons it, to try out in mid-October. I don't quite understand the point of that, but they, they must be pretty down bad if they're asking about that. It's reminding me of Arizona last season when they went 0-12, uh, uh, I believe, and they were asking for walk-on tryouts throughout the entire season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's tough. Uh, really, I mean, that surprises me because it's like, hey, it's not like Oklahoma's having a bad season at all, so yeah, it's kind really of funny. Yeah for them to even say that. Um, so I almost thought it was just more of a fun fan promotional thing because, of course, they showed Baker Mayfield. He was a former walk-on, He, you know, Heisman winner. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, but, I mean, Kansas State, uh, they've made this such a good rivalry, such a very underrated rivalry in the Big 12. I mean, these two teams have been playing each other a long time, lots of times. Uh, you know, they both used to play in the same division back when it had divisions, so... Just a very good rivalry. So I always circle this one on the calendar every single year because I'm just like, okay, we know Kansas State is going to take it to Oklahoma, and it could go either way. Uh, So, yeah, again, very impressed here. Uh, You know, I had hoped that Kansas State would win because, of course, it's moved Tennessee up in the polls a little bit, which is good. All these upsets help. Uh, But, yeah, with Oklahoma going forward, man, you know, I still think they'll be a pretty good team. I don't think they'll lose a whole lot more games as the season goes on. They always seem to, you know, every year either almost lose or lose uh, to, you know, the teams in their conference. So I feel like they'll probably end up with at least double-digit wins by the end of the season still, maybe. Yeah, when you're as much of a blue blood as Oklahoma is, I mean, you're you're guaranteed at least eight or nine wins a season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got these other teams in the – well, Kansas State is not one of those teams, mm-hmm. which is a little odd considering that they tend to win it all the time against them. But, I mean, when, you've, when you're playing – Guys like Texas Tech, Iowa State, which, I mean, I guess Iowa State's a team that's beaten them a lot recently, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you've got those guys in, like, West Virginia and Kansas who don't generally beat up on you a whole lot, you should be able to still have some success. So, mm-hmm. moving forward, I'm definitely not too worried about Oklahoma. So, speaking of Kansas teams, uh, Kansas beat Duke 35-27 to in Lawrence this weekend. The Jayhawks are now 4-0 for the first time since 2009. Uh, their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, threw for 324 yards and four touchdowns, uh, ran ran for a touchdown as well in this game. I've asked it the last two weeks. I'm going to ask it again. Are we believing in the Lance Leipold project that is going on in Lawrence? Absolutely. I, I'm going to say it every week. I, I believe wholeheartedly in this Kansas team, and I want to see them succeed so badly that I'm just going to will it into existence because who does not want to see one of the worst, like historically one of the worst football programs just turn around completely and become this ridiculous offensive powerhouse that, you know, reminds me a bit of Tennessee and how we play our offense. And just, it's crazy to see, and I love it. And honestly, a great game here between these two teams. They made it real competitive. uh, And Duke looked a lot better than I expected them to, to be honest, because I expected Kansas to win this one a little bit more handily. But Duke was able to show up pretty good and limit that Kansas offense a bit, which was pretty impressive for Duke to keep them 
only to 35 points considering what they've scored in their previous games. Yeah, Duke, yeah, I mean, Duke is a very good team. They've had a really good season. They've been one of the many ACC teams that's been a surprise, along with, like, Syracuse as well. Uh, but, you know, Kansas, yeah, they're, they're looking really good on offense, and they've got some quality wins. So, to me, it's still, like, at four wins is still kind of like, okay, it's still a little too early to really tell if you're legit, but if they go... 5 and 0, 6 and 0. If they go 6 and 0, then Kansas should definitely be ranked. I mean, they might even be ranked if they win this weekend already at 5 and 0 cuz once you get to 5 and 0, 6 and 0, then it's not really a fluke anymore. No. Then it's like, okay, you've this been consistent enough. Yeah. I'd still say four wins could still be a little fluky, yeah. but the you know, based on what we've seen, you know, they win just a couple more. I'm going to say, okay, you can't win six in a row and not be legit. So, um, you know, the Jayhawks, yeah, they're starting to really come together, and it's really exciting. I mean, it's cool to see Kansas football finally have some success so that they don't just have to keep talking about uh, the Kansas Comet, who was a, you know, Gail Sayers, uh, who played all the way back in the 1920s. That was the only <laughs> other relevant football <laughs> thing that's happened. A great running back, but that was like in late 1920s. So Yeah, that's that's definitely good for Kansas to have something to talk about other than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's look at our last Power 5 conference. We got a couple matchups to look at there in the Pac-12. Oregon came from behind at Washington State, won the game 44-41. to uh, Wazoo was up 34 to 22 with six minutes, 42 seconds to go. Uh, we had a couple of Bo Nix touchdown passes and a pick six that put Oregon up 44 to 34. I believe Washington state did score a late touchdown as well to make it interesting. I think there was only like a second left on the clock though. So pretty much too little too late there after the comeback. What do we see here? Washington State honestly really impressed me in this game. I wasn't expecting them to keep it as close as they did and even lead for a good portion of that game. But uh, Bo Nix has been able to show he does have a lot of offensive prowess. Even even if we make fun of him a lot, he can he can put together some really impressive offensive drives. And so Oregon still to me looks like a bit a bit of this wild card team where you don't know exactly which Oregon you're going to get on any given day. So you don't know if that Bo Nix that's able to you know put together game winning drives is going to show up or if the guy who throws a pick every single drive is going to show up. But really impressed with Washington State here, and they look like their program that could be getting out of the mud, really. Yeah, they're, they're a program that's you know, dealt with a lot of strange things to happen to them in the last couple of years. But they've managed to find a coach out of it who is is putting together uh, you know some pretty solid teams. I mean, even though Wisconsin's been disappointing for them to still go on the road and Camp Randall get that victory to still almost beat Oregon. I mean, they're they're not a team that's easily going to get uh put away. It seems like they play up to and down to all competition that they play. So, they're just a very fascinating fascinating team to watch. And, you know, my dad, he went to University of Washington and and for years Washington State would get up these huge leads and then blow it. And every time they did that, they'd say they could Cooged it, you know. Well, this time they cooged it again. They 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 pulled they pulled up cougars and they cooged it once again. So you know if they just didn't do that super often, I mean, then they'd be you know easily top twenty five teams every year. But you know they cooged it. Yeah, I mean, I think this team definitely has a potential to have a good season. I mean, after the whole situation with Nick Rolovich, mm-hmm. I guess last year with the whole. I, was it was it a vaccine thing? I think yeah. it was. So yeah, that that situation, of course, put them in a little bit of disarray. And of course, their quarterback Jaden Delara transferring out 
made things very interesting. But, I mean, they they are definitely a team that has shown that they could get some potential big Pac-12 wins. So we'll be interested to see what happens there. Our last matchup that we're going to look at in the Pac-12, number seven, USC, one on the road at Oregon State, 17-14. to 14. Uh, And really the best thing I have to say for this one is, look, Oregon State is lucky to have lost this game by only a field goal because Chance Nolan, who a lot of people thought was a spectacular quarterback there for the first three weeks of the season, he just threw four interceptions against USC. Sometimes that just happens with those quarterbacks at the smaller schools playing against big schools. They get that nervousness when you're going against a brand name like USC, and they just they have a terrible game. I think Chance Nolan could still be a pretty good quarterback, but I do think it shows that at Oregon State, there's still a little bit of that small-time mentality and that they're smaller than the bigger teams, which it can be a problem when you're going against these teams because you need to have the mentality that you can win any given Saturday. But USC scrapes away with a win against the Oregon State team that has actually looked really good this season. Yeah, Oregon State has been really good this season, beating Boise State and Fresno State in the same year, which just would never happen previous years. I will say beating Boise State right now is not impressive at all. We True. Ju- just lost to UTEP. It's, Boise State's in a real bad way right now. True. It's not the same Boise State of old, but still, still for Oregon State, uh, that was a huge moral victory just to beat the Broncos because that would not have happened like in years past and many years but still I think Chance Nolan's still a really good quarterback he's shown that last year I think USC's defense is just really opportunistic they seem to force a lot of turnovers I don't think it's in any means the best defense uh, and they were close to the best defense in the country but they they force a lot of turnovers they get a lot of forced fumbles a lot of interceptions to me, though, uh, Caleb Williams just was not that good this game. And it's funny, the farther up USC gets ranked, the lower Caleb Williams' Heisman hopes seem to go because they're winning it in other ways. Travis died, dominated Oregon State on the ground. He's the Oregon State killer, the Oregon State arch nemesis playing for Oregon for those years. He already had over 500 total yards against Oregon State heading into this game. And then now it like added on just a huge chunk more so. Uh, you know, Travis Dye was incredible. Austin Jones has been great. Uh, I feel like Caleb Williams really has to step it up for, in order for USC to really take the next step. For sure. So, with that being said, those are all of our matchups we're going to cover this week. But before we move on to our next segment, we did, for the third week in a row, have a coach firing this week. Uh, as UCF beat Georgia Tech 27-10, to Georgia Tech officials got together. They decided that it was time for Jeff Collins and AD Todd Stansberry to go. Uh, I mean, when you're winning three games per season, it, it's really just a matter of time before they, they're calling for your job. That's that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, good on them. They needed a complete culture shift, and it was, it was time for a change. And so I, I'm happy for Georgia Tech, and if you're a Tech fan, you should be happy. Change is necessary here. Yeah, I mean, all I'll say about that is I, I feel bad for Georgia Tech because I really feel like part of the what's hindered their success is the rise of programs like Georgia State, Georgia Southern, which have you know implemented the option offenses, which Georgia Tech got away wa- away of with Jeff Collins, yeah. which they should not have done, yeah. um, and it's really hurt them because these other smaller schools close to Atlanta, like Georgia Southern, Georgia State. All of a sudden, we've seen they've become decent teams, and what are they doing? They're implementing the option. A lot of those players that were going to go to Georgia Tech, I strongly believe, 
chose those schools instead. And it's not like Georgia Tech can take recruits away from Georgia, especially the way the Bulldogs are playing. So recruiting in their state, I think they've just been getting killed there. And and so their talent gap uh, has just been destroyed. Yeah, it's, it's a little odd to me because you would think abandoning the triple option, you know, that's not the sexiest offense to run out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe doing away with that. Nobody really... Unless you're a running back of some sort, some kind of speedy running back or a speedy quarterback, nobody's yep. really wanting to play in that kind of system. Mm-hmm. So you would think that would actually help them, but it's actually done the opposite, which is really, really odd to me. I think he's really, I think Collins, you know, had all these big ideas about what he wanted to do, and he just made it too complicated. He forgot that winning football games, you got to do the basics right, the basics of blocking and tackling. That's all it is. And I think he just tried to complicate their scheme too much, complicate their game too much. And then when it didn't work one year, he tried to change it all up again. And, you know, the triple option, while a lot of teams don't like to run it, it's simple if you just have the right amount of discipline to run it. That's why these military schools run it, because all those guys have high levels of discipline. Absolutely. So, with that, that is going to be the end of our first segment. Let's move into our next one. Since it is the end of September, we are naturally going to talk about our September Heisman frontrunners. So, with that being said, who do you guys think is your September Heisman this season? I Is he going to do it? Yes, sir. You know I'm going to do it. I love Hendon Hooker, and I have to go with him because, to me, there's just no other player that has stood out as much because... I, I know that other players have played really well, but to me, Hendon Hooker is special because not only has he had remarkable numbers, he's done it against good teams, and he's had really impressive wins against Pitt and Florida in particular. And in Florida, he looked flaw- well against Florida, not in Florida. He looked flawless. Like he just he made all the right decisions. He made really important third down completions. He just he was that guy on Saturday, and it was a remarkable performance. And against Pitt, that game was a little bit ugly, but Hendon made all the right choices, and we were able to get a win because he put us in a spot to win, which is why I'm choosing him as the Heisman, not only because of the numbers, because we can talk about numbers all day, and it's college football. Everybody's obsessed with numbers, but to me what makes Hendon special is his ability to make the right decisions on the field at the right times. Yeah, and his ability to do it in a variety of different ways. He yep. can use his legs so well. And he's got the strong arm talent, and he's got the accuracy now as well. And what matters is that you're having game-winning drives coming up clutch at the end. Even against Pittsburgh, he was fantastic in the second half. Uh, all you know, you know, to go away from that a little bit, I'll I'll go a little bit more outside of the popular realm because if these guys keep playing the way that they're playing and and make big wins coming up here. I think they could jump into the Heisman top five. That would be Spencer Sanders, uh, a quarterback of Oklahoma State, who's looked really, really good, and Mohamed Ibrahim, running back of Minnesota. Ibrahim's quite a bit out there, but Sanders, I think there is a very legitimate chance that he could win the Heisman Trophy. They play Baylor uh, coming up here. If he has a huge game against Baylor, which we know is a great defense, big-time win, and then Oklahoma State continues to keep winning, it wouldn't be too long before they could be a top-four team. Uh, if they have an undefeated season, win the Big 12 championship, which I think is possible. I think it's very possible. Uh, and then they could be in the college football playoff with that four seed, and Spencer Sanders, I think, would be the key part of them getting there. So I would say Sanders, you know, as the Heisman future watch that people should really be paying attention to. And then even 
Ibrahim, I just think he's the best running back in the country. He's been so incredible at Minnesota, and that's from a lot of great running backs this year. I mean, uh, you know, Braylon Allen at Wisconsin, um, you know, B. John Robinson, but I'm saying Ibrahim's even better than all of them. Okay, so I'm going to go a little bit more mainstream here. I'm going to say C.J. Stroud of Ohio State because, I mean, like like we were saying with numbers, you can talk about them all day. And with this guy, I mean, he the dude has thrown for 16 touchdowns and one interception. That I mean, a lot of guys would want to have 16 touchdowns on their season to call it a good season. He's got all of that in one month's time. So that that alone is very impressive. Uh, and, you know, he hadn't done it against bad teams either. I mean, obviously, they played Toledo and Arkansas State, and they put up 77 on Toledo. But, I mean, Notre Dame obviously came to town, uh, challenged them a little bit, surprisingly. Uh, and then Wisconsin, obviously Wisconsin's not the Wisconsin that we usually know them to be, but they still hung 52 points on them. So definitely been impressed with C.J. Stroud so far. I thought he was going to be the front runner going into this season, and I still hold that belief right now. So definitely got to go with him. Uh, of course, one guy that we didn't really talk about much was Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stetson Bennett. Yeah, too. and I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that they've both kind of had their struggle bus games. And, uh, you know, they you don't, you don't usually get guys that have those for your Heisman Trophy winners over the years. So I, that's, that's why we didn't mention those guys, I feel like. Uh, so, yeah. So let's move on to our final segment, the Week 5 Preview. Uh, we've got a lot of ranked matchups yes. for you guys this week. We, I think it's five ranked matchups that we've got in here, so it should be pretty fun. Uh, let's start off with college game day. Number 10 NC State travels to number five Clemson. Uh, this was a pretty decisive game last year in the ACC Atlantic. NC State got the win, pretty much kept Clemson from getting into that ACC title game. But here's the kicker. The Wolfpack has not won in Clemson since 2002. I was, what, six months old the last time that happened? Uh, Do we think NC State is going to change that this time around? I don't think so. I think the Clemson home win streak continues to stand. They've had, I I believe they currently still have the longest home win streak in college football right now. I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 26 consecutive home wins. And Clemson is just... I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what it is about them, but they just give me this feeling this year that they are out to win the ACC, and it's going to happen whether or not anybody else has anything to say about it. I just have that feeling about Clemson right now, and NC State has looked shaky at times, and I don't think they can come into Death Valley and get it done. Yeah, I mean, I think really... uh the win over Wake Forest was a huge confidence booster for the offense. Even though despite, you know, Wake Forest defense being bad, to put up over 50 points when this was an offense that was struggling so much for Clemson, I think has given them the confidence boost to be able to win this game. If they didn't have that kind of performance and still won against Wake Forest, I'd be picking NC State. But because the offense looked so good in that game, and we know that the defense is extremely talented, I'm going to say Clemson wins in a close one. I think NC State is very good. Devin Leary is very good, but at the end of the day, you just can't be very good to go into Death Valley, uh, that Death Valley, and win. You got to be exceptional. So I just don't see NC State as exceptional. So I'm picking Clemson. Yeah, I've definitely got to go with Clemson here as well because, I mean, Death Valley, like you said, it's a tough environment. Probably the most intimidating environment in the ACC that's not uh, Florida State, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Florida State hasn't been good lately, so it really hasn't been like that. 
And, of course, Clemson pretty much takes that title now as most intimidating. So, I mean, I, I got to definitely go with Clemson here. I mean, the, the way they looked last week, like you guys said, you know, they played a great offensive game against Wake Forest. We haven't been used to seeing that out of them. And at home, I mean, I, I don't feel like they should have any problem doing that. So definitely got to go with Clemson here. So let's stay in the ACC Atlantic, actually. We got another ranked matchup. Number 22, Wake Forest visits number 23, Florida State. Uh, Seminoles are actually in the top 25 for the first time in a long time. That comes after beating Boston College 44-14 to this past weekend. Uh, the Demon Deacons have actually won the last two games of this series, but they have not won in Tallahassee since 2008. Do we think Florida State is for real? I think this is going to be the game of the week, to be honest. I think this is going to be really hard fought on both ends. Florida State's going to want this really badly because they've been having the season where it's kind of their season where they're like, we're back. It's finally happening. Um, and this is a game that could prove it to them in the same way that the Tennessee-Florida game proved it for us. So I think Florida State's really, really going to want this one. But I think that Wake Forest just edges them out on talent. And I think mm -hmm. that the Wake Forest offense is just a little bit too good for Florida State right now. And I think that Wake Forest finally gets it done. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, I agree. This game is going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of points scored. I mean, Jordan Travis and Sam Hartman are going to sling the rock and they're going to put up crazy numbers in this game. Uh, but you know what? I see these two teams as so evenly matched that I often go with the home team whenever it's evenly matched here. So I'm going to roll with Florida State in this one. I think the Seminoles do just enough to beat Wake Forest uh, in a like extremely like minor upset and manage to get this huge home victory. I think Mike Norvell is legit. This is his prove-it year. He's an offensive guru. He's going to get the job done against a terrible Wake Forest defense. Dom, I'm actually going to side with you here on this one. Uh, Wake Forest obviously had a tough week last week against Clemson, you know, losing a double overtime. That's that's going to be a frustrating thing to have to deal with all week long. And, you know, I think they're going to take out that frustration on Florida State. I really do. Uh, Florida State, you know, they beat LSU earlier in the season, but overall that's really been their only impressive win because the other two teams they played that are Power 5, Louisville and Boston College, both of those teams are horrible this mm -hmm. season. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Wake Forest has played much better competition, but, you know, I think Liberty may be in the same realm, maybe a little bit as LSU. Uh, you know, they're always t a pretty tough independent to have to go up against. So I like Wake Forest in this one for some reason. I, I can't exactly wrap, around my, <laughs> wrap it around my head, but, uh, yeah, definitely going to have to go with the Demon Deacons here. So let's look at another ranked matchup. Let's go over to the Big 12. Number nine, Oklahoma State at number 16, Baylor. These two actually played each other twice last season. Oklahoma State won the game in the regular season in Stillwater, but these two saw each other in the Big 12 championship. Of course, Baylor won that game to advance to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, guys, I, I don't feel like we've talked about Oklahoma State enough on this show. Mm -hmm. uh, they really haven't seen anybody particularly difficult. I know they had to outrun Central Michigan week <laughs> one, uh, and then they beat uh, what, what was it, Arizona State by 17 at home. Mm -hmm. Of course, Herm Edwards has been fired. So uh, how do we think they're going to do in their first true test? To be honest, I really don't know because I feel like this is an Oklahoma State team that is really good, but at the same time, I feel like they kind of snuck into the top 10. Like I, I don't feel like there's been a super legitimate argument for them to be as highly ranked as they are right now, and maybe that's going to change, and they're going to change my mind with this game. 
but I don't think they quite have the resume to be where they're at yet. However, I think that I think that they're just a little bit better than Oklahoma or <laughs> they're better than themselves. Yes. No, I think they're a little <laughs> bit better than Baylor just because Baylor has uh, I the BYU game was rough for Baylor and I don't think BYU is actually looking that great anymore. And so I think that Oklahoma State's going to be able to take this one fairly comfortably. Yeah, I, I don't know about fairly comfortably, but I was going to roll with Oklahoma State as well. I mean, I feel like I have to now since I said Spencer Sanders as an under-the-radar under, under the radar Heisman guy. So I kind of have to roll with the Oklahoma State at this point. But, you know, they, they I can see a lot of the hype behind them. Mike Gundy's the most experienced head coach in the Big 12. Uh, you know, Derek Mason's the new defensive coordinator. And sure, he hasn't done as good of a job as Jim Knowles, that's for sure. He's got his work cut out for him. But they are making some improvements improvement slowly but yet this offense is still so explosive at Oklahoma State just as it's always been with Gundy so I gotta roll with the Cowboys I think they want revenge so badly Baylor screwed them up out of the playoffs I think they're gonna come in here even though it's gonna be a hostile environment even though it's a home game for Baylor I still think Oklahoma State's revenge factor and the great quarterback they've got here is gonna get them over the edge here yeah, I definitely like the pokes in this one as well. Uh, you know, like you guys said, the explosive offense, you got guys like Spencer Sanders, uh, a lot of dynamic receivers too. I know uh, at least Brennan Presley. I, I know he's got a younger brother. I'm not sure how much he plays. Um, but, you know, those guys are going to pose a lot of threats to this Baylor team, which, I mean, we've talked about their defense a lot on this podcast. But the thing is uh, – I mean, they, they've been iffy at times. I mean, obviously, they've had to play some games on the road, and that obviously factors into it. But this is probably going to be the best de- or offense they see mm-hmm. in this early portion of the season. And I feel like I say this all the time, too, but, you know, there's a little bit of inexperience there with Baylor with skill positions on offense. So I'm going to have to take Oklahoma State in this one for all those reasons. So last Big 12 matchup, and – if you had told me this would be a matchup that I would be talking about on a college football podcast about 10 years ago, I would have called you crazy. Iowa State at Kansas. Uh, the Jayhawks are obviously 4-0, like we've mentioned, uh, but they have not beaten Iowa State since 2014. Do they have an ounce of magic in them still? Oh, absolutely. Kansas is going to take this one. They're going to they're gonna dominate. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Kansas is going to walk all over Iowa State. This is going to be their game to announce to the Big 12. We're here. We're, we're here to stay, and we're going to kick everyone's butt this year. Um, but, no, I really do think Kansas is going to win this one, and I think they're going to do it pretty comfortably because, well, Iowa State has a good defense. I just think that their offense does not have the tools at all to keep pace with what Kansas can do. And I think Kansas is just going to jump out to an early lead, and Iowa State's going to have to change up their game to play catch-up, and they won't be able to do it. Yeah, Lance Leipold is quickly on the way to becoming the national coach of the year this year. If they don't give him the award, if Kansas, you know, even goes, you know, seven and five or eight and four, I'd still give him the award for that. Um, but you know, Kansas, their offense, yeah, just way too explosive for Iowa State. I think they've really just got such a good scheme going, and the, all the confidence they've built up winning these games is going to be so huge. So I think, yeah, absolutely, Kansas wins. Might even win by double digits. I think it might be pretty. 
pretty close. I think Hunter Deckers could bounce back because this Kansas defense has uh, not been too terribly impressive. But uh, but I think the offense is so good that they're just going to end up running away with this and score way too many points for Iowa State to catch up. Yeah, I like Kansas here too uh, because I think you know Iowa State, we've talked about them being a pretty defensive-centered team. They gave up 31 points last week to a Baylor team that's kind of been struggling to find an offensive identity. Uh, and Kansas has had quite an offensive identity throughout the first month of the season. So definitely going to have to go with Kansas for that reason. And, you know, like I said last week, maybe they, there is a distinct home field advantage here in Lawrence. We don't know because they haven't been there. But may, but they're, they're here now mm-hmm. because they're doing well. But I, I think that could potentially be a factor mm-hmm. uh, if, they, if, they're, if they're to show up. Uh, so definitely got to take Kansas in this one. So let's transition over to the SEC. Uh, let, this could be a very interesting matchup here. LSU at Auburn. Uh, Auburn won for the first time in Death Valley last year since 1999. I believe the score was 24 to 19. Bo Nix had some just Houdini type plays out there. Uh, of course, they are a completely different team now that there is no Bo Nix. Uh, you know, the quarterback situation has been interesting and all. LSU is coming off a pretty significant win over New Mexico last week. Uh, and, you know, obviously New Mexico's terrible, but 38-0, that's a shutout. And that defense hasn't gotten a ton of credit for what it's done this season. So who do we like to win this one? I'm going to have to take LSU just because I, I don't see any way Auburn can turn things around right now. I, I think they're really just too far gone, and LSU just – I think they have this one comfortably. And I think LSU's kind of been – sneaky good this season because they've put together a pretty decently impressive resume obviously the shutout against new mexico and then the big win against mississippi state 31 16 and then uh, they played southern university which not a big deal but they scored 65 that guy walked out onto the field (laughs) that's true that poor poor drunken fan (laughs) but um and then uh, the Florida State loss is looking less and less bad as the mm-hmm. season goes on. Florida State's looking like a pretty good team. So I think this LSU team, is, I think they're sitting outside of the top 25 fairly comfortably. So I think they walk away with this one easily. Yeah, you know, I mean, LSU is such a wild card team. But again, their defense, yeah, has been great. Guys, monster players like Ollie Gay in there and, and other stars on that team. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's just something about like, I feel like this game is going to be a close game. Uh, just whatever it is, I just feel like it's going to be close. And once again, I think Auburn will get a lot of luck to go their way being at home in Jordan-Hare. I think Tank Bigsby makes some big plays. And the Auburn Tigers, just like against Missouri, find some way to magically win this game since it's at home and since it will be close. I'm going with Auburn. Dom, I am once again going to side with you here. Uh, I like LSU a lot in this one because I think Jaden Daniels is a very dynamic quarterback. Of course, he can run pretty efficiently on the ground. He also spreads the ball pretty well through the air. Um, obviously, Kayshawn Boutte was pretty much the big-name receiver going into the season, but we've seen guys like Jerry Jenkins, uh, Malik Neighbors step up, make big plays for this team. And, you know, Auburn, they, they like a quarterback. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Tank Bigsby as a running back for that team, but – I mean, when your quarterbacks are combining for two touchdowns and six interceptions, that's pretty horrible. Uh, So I've definitely got to go with LSU in this one. So up next, we've got number 17, Texas A&M, at Mississippi State. Uh, Not really a clear pattern to this one uh, as far as the overall record and series is concerned. Uh, Mississippi State won 
last year, 26 to 22 in Aggie land. Uh, of course, we talked about what Texas A&M did this past week, and then Mississippi State beat Bowling Green this past week, 45 to 14. Uh, what what are we seeing here? I'm feeling like uh, Texas A&M walks away with this one. Uh, I don't think they do it terribly. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't think they do it terribly comfortably. I think that this Mississippi State team is still pretty good considering the fight they put up against LSU, and that's a team. I think LSU is a pretty good team to be honest. But I think that Texas A&M has this game fairly comfortably, especially coming off their win. I think they're going to be a lot more confident, and their offense is going to play a lot more. They're going to play a lot more loose because I feel like their offense has just been so tight during the start of this season because they haven't been confident. And winning that last game, it was a huge win for them, and I think they're finally going to be able to calm down a little bit and win games with more comfort. But I do think this one is still going to be a pretty good game. You know, I think it's going to be a really close game. It's so tough to pick. But my reasoning is if Mississippi State can go into Aggie Land and beat Texas A&M last year, then they can do it with the cowbells clanging out in at home in Stark Vegas this year. So I'm going to go roll with Mississippi State. I think they come away with a close victory. I think Will Rogers has a fantastic game, and the Bulldogs find a way to come away with this one around three to six points. Yeah, I'm uh... – very interested to see what happens here because I, I, I just feel like Mississippi State, especially with Mike Leach right now as your head coach, is just such a mystery in what will happen. <laughs> yeah, the because wild card of all wild you just You just don't know with him. I mean, are they going to win or are they going to get killed? I mean, I, I, <laughs> this, this one is just such a weird matchup to me. But I actually do like Mississippi State here uh, just because, you know, I think Will Rogers is a far more dynamic quarterback than what they saw last week with KJ Jefferson. I mean, not saying that KJ Jefferson is not like a, a strong passer by any means, but he does. That's not his go-to necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd much rather use his legs than uh, you know have to throw it to guys. Uh, so, I I definitely like Mississippi State in this one, but I feel like it definitely could go either way. Uh, we'll be very very interested to see what happens this weekend in Stark Vegas. So, speaking of Mississippi, number 17, Kentucky, at number 14, Ole Miss. I know we were joking earlier about the 25% <laughs> capacity thing, but apparently this one is sold out. Uh, last two times these two teams have played, Ole Miss has won and some thrillers up in Lexington. Of course, there was a DK Metcalf uh, touchdown pass back in, what was that, 2017? And then most recently, I believe it was a missed extra point attempt by Kentucky in overtime that gave Ole Miss the win. Uh, and then both of these teams struggled last week against group of five opponents. Uh, Ole Miss and, well, I guess they were playing Tulsa, and then it was Kentucky and Northern Illinois. They both only won by eight last week. Uh, so we'll be interested. Well, what am I trying to say? Uh, I'll be it could be a very interesting game between two teams that have not yeah. seen any real competition uh, going into this. And, of course, another big note, uh, Chris Rodriguez, the Kentucky running back, this is his first game back after a four-game suspension from the DUI that he had offseason. Does this play a factor in this one at all? I, I'm i not sure if it will play too much of a factor because, to be honest, to me, this is the battle of the overrated. I think both these teams are criminally overrated especially coming off of last week i don't know how kentucky remained in the top 10 being tied to northern illinois 14 14 at halftime at home how do you justify that and vandy beat that team by double digits yeah Let's keep in mind yeah like i they're just both ridiculously overrated in my opinion and 
I feel like this is just going to be a snooze fest. I feel like this is going to be the most boring game of the week, to be honest. That's why it's a noon game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I, I'll be surprised if many Ole Miss fans, despite the sellout, actually make it to the stadium because I feel like they're just going to be tailgating a little bit too hard and not be able to quite make it through the door. Hey, I mean, I mean, Brett, Chet, Chad, and Brad have a lot of rushing to do at Ole Miss that morning, so I think they're going to be a little bit too, uh, you know, too over to go to this game. But you know, I'm going to roll with the Rebels to get this one. Uh, I, I just think, you know, I'd like to see Kentucky win only so that it could be a bigger game against Tennessee later, but. I just don't think Kentucky's really this good. And yeah, Ole Miss has not lived up to their ranking, but uh, I think with the big crowd they're going to get, they're going to find a way to get this victory. Chris Rodriguez coming back does help Kentucky a lot, but he has fumbled the ball quite a bit throughout his career. That's the one knock against his game. Great running back, but turnover issues. I feel like he maybe turns the ball over. I think Levis might make a costly turnover, and Ole Miss escapes with a close victory. Yeah, I, I like Ole Miss here a lot too. Um, you know, I think the run game for Ole Miss is really going to help them. Of course, Jackson Dart hasn't been terribly impressive so far, uh, but they've got a trio of running backs. Of course, they brought in Zach Evans from TCU, Ulysses Bentley uh, from SMU. Quinshawn Judkins is the freshman that they've got that looks very good right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and, you know, I, as much as people credit Mark Stoops, I feel like road wins are a weakness of his. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we saw them beat Florida twice while Florida was ranked. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, who, who is he beating on the road that's noteworthy that's been a ranked opponent? So, I actually really like Ole Miss in this one for that reason. Maybe there's maybe it's something to do with the Realtree helmets. I have no idea. <laughs> Those are pretty sick. Yeah. I will say, Ole Miss consistently does exceptional with the uniforms. Oh, the uniforms if, are yeah. amazing. If there's a reason for Kiffin to stay, that's it. And yeah. I, yeah. I just, Cor- Coors Light can't help us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just realized I totally spaced and forgot to pick a team here. Um, <laughs> if I could pick like a 10 to 10 tie, I would, to be honest. You never wow. know. It could. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, do th- I forget? I legitimately forget if they do ties in college football. They do not. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. No, sadly. <laughs> so I'm gonna take. I'll take Kentucky to be honest. I think. I think something stupid's gonna happen, and they're gonna. You know, they're gonna get that missed kick from Ole Miss or something, or they're gonna get a field goal to make it 13-10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this game really is a toss-up. So I, either one of these teams could beat each other, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. All right, so let's look at our last matchup. This is our last one because Tennessee is on a bye week. I don't know if we talked about that at all in this podcast so far, but that is why we're not making a Tennessee prediction this weekend. Sadly. Just so you guys know. Um, Number two, Alabama visits number 20, Arkansas in Fayetteville. Uh, Just like Tennessee, Arkansas has not beaten Alabama since 2006. Uh, Bama got a big 55-3 win against Vanderbilt this past weekend. Uh do we believe in miracles, guys? I, I'm i not taking the miracle in this game, to be honest. I think Bama's going to win it. Um, I remember it being a real close game last year, and I think that Bama just has a little bit more motivation here to put their foot down and really say that, you know, the Texas game was a fluke, and we're here to compete. We're going to win it. Um, so I do take Bama, and, I mean, they've put up ridiculous numbers against everyone they've played besides Texas. But I am very interested to see how they play against SEC opponents uh just because you know vandy doesn't quite count <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yes yeah. yeah we all know this yeah uh you know what 
Give me the hogs. I'm rolling with wow. Arkansas to get this big upset win. I think the pass rush is going to be legit. I think Alabama is going to struggle to run the ball against this great Arkansas front seven. So give me Arkansas. I've had this game circled on my calendar, you know, all summer long. I said, if Alabama is going to lose a game this season, it's going to be in Fayetteville. And even despite Knoxville. Arkansas's loss, Knoxville, Knoxville possibly <laughs> too. Hey, possibly. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee's impressed me so far. They've been better than I thought. Very pleasant surprise. So, yeah, so maybe. But other than Tennessee, it's either Tennessee or Arkansas that's going to beat Alabama this year. And I think Arkansas is going to be the one to do it. I like I like the way the Hogs are built. I think this is a rivalry. They've been waiting to win this one. They were so close last year in Tuscaloosa. If they can get that close last year in Tuscaloosa against, in my opinion, a better Alabama team, then I think they can, at home, get a close, close victory over Alabama. Give me Arkansas to win this one. Devin, I wish I had your confidence. Um, I, I got to go with Alabama here because this Arkansas secondary has looked miserable lately. I mean, they got torched by Missouri State, FCS Missouri State, in the return of Bobby Petrino to Fayetteville. <laughs> uh, I mean, Alabama, the receiving core has been a little bit questionable this year. Uh, they've they've been on that what five or six year run of just great receivers. Oh yeah, but Incredible. we haven't really seen one emerge yet. I mean, we we saw Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell uh, acquired through the transfer portal, but neither of those guys have really had much to show for. Uh, Which believe, is crazy because yeah. of how good they were last year yeah. for their school. And I think Trayshawn Holden and Ja'Cory Brooks are two of the better ones they've got now, oh, who yeah. were both not bad last year. But I mean, it was we weren't thinking they were going to be the next like Jalen Waddle or Devonte Smith or anything like that. Uh, and then, you know, their best statistical receiver going into the season was their tight end, Cam Latu. We haven't seen a whole lot of him this year either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the secondary for Arkansas is a real issue. And, I mean, just judging off of what we saw last week here in Neyland Stadium, actually, I didn't think Florida's receiving core was that great. But we can see what happens with weak secondaries. They make certain quarterbacks look like Heisman contenders. <laughs> yep. uh, so I'm going to have to go with Alabama in this one. For that reason. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Neyland's Basement. For Dominic Throngard and Devin Hoke, I'm your host, Tucker Harlan. We will see you guys next week.